Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit therapynotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code THERAPYCHAT when you sign up for a free trial at therapynotes.com. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use, HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code THERAPYCHAT. A couple weeks ago, my group practice needed to close our office to in-person sessions and make a quick pivot to telehealth due to the coronavirus. I was able to set up free HIPAA-compliant DoxyMe accounts for my staff and interns. This allowed us to quickly and easily transition to telehealth during a stressful situation. I already had my own paid account that I'd been using as needed. DoxyMe has been easy for staff and clients to use so we can focus on the therapy sessions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code THERAPYCHAT. That's D-O-X-Y dot M-E and use the code THERAPYCHAT for $50 off. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm honored to be interviewing a therapist in my state, Jennifer Rollin, LCSWC. Jennifer, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been following your work in eating disorders for a long time, probably a few years. And I'm glad that we got together for this because it's really become evident to me that this pandemic situation has exacerbated a lot of the underlying things that people have been dealing with emotionally before now. And especially for people who are already in treatment for something, it can really kind of amplify the symptoms. And so it got me thinking about 
how that might be for people who either have eating disorders or are recovered from eating disorders or in the process of recovering, um, or even people who kind of have complicated relationships with food, but haven't had a full-blown eating disorder. So I knew you were the one to go to. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's such an important topic to be talking about. Yeah, I agree. So before we really get into the nitty-gritty of our conversation, will you just take a second to tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm an eating disorder therapist. I'm also the founder of the Eating Disorder Center, and we're an outpatient therapy center based out of Rockville, Maryland, who provides therapy to people in New York, Maryland, California, and then coaching to people worldwide via video. I also am personally recovered from my own eating disorder, which fueled and inspired my passion and my drive for the work. Additionally, I write and speak. I've written for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today, as well as some magazines. And then I do a lot of media interviews and talks, as well as trainings for other professionals on treating eating disorders and body image issues. Awesome. And you mentioned to me that you are also in the process of writing a book. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be kind of a fun insider guide to eating disorder recovery. And I'm writing it with one of my best friends who's also a recovered eating disorder therapist. So we're kind of going to talk about, you know, the different clinical things that can be helpful for people in recovery. Each chapter is going to be a different recovery topic. And then when appropriate, we're going to blend in some of our own personal experiences, as well as some lived experiences from other providers. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that sounds great. And I can already think of a couple of people who I know that would probably appreciate reading that. So that's awesome. I can't wait to hear when it comes out. So what do you see as... Well, first of all, what are your thoughts about what I said before about the way that this pandemic is kind of amplifying symptoms for people who are dealing with eating eating disorder issues? I think that this pandemic, in my opinion, is really a perfect storm for eating disorder issues to become triggered or to become exacerbated because there's just so many factors and elements that play into it. And I kind of like to think of an eating disorder, kind of the development of an eating disorder as the perfect storm of factors that come together, you know, from genetics to temperamental traits to environmental factors. And so when we think about the current climate of what's happening right now in the pandemic, we have lots of free time and we're often pretty isolated. And eating disorders love free time and love social isolation because that means that you don't have to eat out, you don't have to go to restaurants, um, and you can kind of stay at home with your eating disorder behaviors. So that's one struggle, I think, for a lot of people. Another one is this idea of food scarcity. So I'm sure you've seen, you know, when we go to the grocery store, I'm hearing from clients, I'm hearing even from friends Actually, this morning I was talking to my assistant and asking her what she'd been up to. And she said, baking bread because they were out of bread and yeast at the grocery store. And she like made her own yeast out of grapes. But that's a, that's a story for another time. Wow. Um, I was very impressed. But the point is that 
we're all facing, many of us are facing food scarcity right now. And some people are going to the grocery store less frequently as well to try to avoid the risk of being exposed to the virus. And the way that food scarcity can trigger eating disorder behavior, an example I like to give is we think about toilet paper. When this whole thing first started, toilet paper suddenly became this hot commodity and places are running out of it. So what did everyone then do with toilet paper? Hoarding. Right. And that is our natural human tendency, right? When something is scarce and off limits, it makes it more special. And this is one factor that can commonly drive binge eating. It's this idea of, you know, telling myself I'm either restricting that food, so I'm not letting myself eat X, Y, and Z, or I'm emotionally restricting that food. So I'm eating the cookie and beating myself up while I'm eating the cookie. And both of those things can lead to an increase in binging behavior. So people struggling with binge eating disorder might be especially triggered by food scarcity, this idea of last supper mentality of eating, right? That, you know, I'm never going to be able to get these cookies again, or these cookies are scarce, or I'm not going to the grocery store, so I might as well eat them all right now. And then scarcity can also drive restrictive behavior because clients' eating disorders will then say, oh, well, food is scarce, I should ration it, so I shouldn't eat as much, right? So that eating disorder voice is going to use any excuse to go back to behaviors and that's one excuse that an eating disorder might use. Other factors include this idea of uncertainty, which I think is bringing up anxiety for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, for folks with eating disorders, there's a lot of functions that an eating disorder can play. It's never just one thing. But one function is this false sense of control for some people particularly around this idea of restriction. It's if I can control what I eat, if I can control my body, then I am in control. And so when things feel so out of control in the world, that can be a big trigger for that eating disorder to tell you that you're going to become more in control by using behaviors when the reality is we know that the more somebody listens to their eating disorder, the less in control they actually are. But it's a, it's a false sense of control and one way that people's eating disorders might help them to cope. So that's another big thing. And then another factor that is very problematic is tons of memes and jokes around weight gain. And so much. Yeah, everywhere. So there's just all of this fear mongering when for many people with eating disorders, a big fear um, almost a phobia is waking. And so what happens when you see your fear, your phobia being expressed culturally by a lot of people at one time? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, the memes yeah. on Facebook They're, and Instagram, it's like endless. Yeah. And again, I think people use humor to cope and I think they think they're being funny, but you know, in my opinion, those memes do a lot more harm than good. Mm-hmm. I agree. So you know, not only can people with eating disorders feel really triggered, I think it's also just unhelpful. I mean, many people, even without eating disorders, are really stressed right now, feeling like they can't do enough, that they're not being quote unquote productive enough, that they're having to homeschool their kids while trying to work, while trying to work on their mental health. And so let's add a layer of fat phobia on top of that. Like that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my thoughts are, 
if we're living through this right now, what's your body size matter? Like it's not, you know, I mean, it's never important really other than for you to feel good about you. But it's like, so if you gained weight, that's not going to hurt you. You know, it's just, you can worry about that. Let's get through this. You know, that's how I feel. I don't know. That may be off. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think that's a good point. Like there's a lot of other far more important things to focus on, but again, society and diet culture really pin everything on weight and try to shift the focus to that because it sells like $70 billion worth of products for the diet industry. So they have a vested interest in making you feel not great about yourself. And then the other thing that's really big right now, in addition to being constantly bombarded with fat phobic memes, we're also getting constant workout kind of guilt and fitspiration everywhere. So people all over TikTok and Instagram posting their home workouts and then gyms are closed. So for people struggling with compulsive exercise, there's a lot of anxiety around not being able to move and what that is going to mean to their body. So there's so many factors right now that can make things incredibly challenging for people in recovery who are just trying to get by day to day. Yeah. So I'm kind of hearing you say that it's challenging for people who already had an issue with eating and body image. And then it's potentially some of the factors like the scarcity and the uncertainty can and that feeling of wanting to be in control can really sounds like you're saying contribute to even new eating disorders that people didn't have before. Right. So I think, you know, like any mental illness, it's kind of genetics, load the gun, environment pulls the trigger. And so diet culture alone is not going to cause an eating disorder where I always say like everyone would have one because we all grew up in this diet culture world where we're taught, you know, thin is better and thin is healthier. And for people right now, this could be like the environmental factor that triggers some people's eating disorders to develop. Yeah, I do feel that we all live in culture that, well, here in the U.S., I'll, I'll say, where having a disordered relationship with your body and with food is the norm. You know, it's it's our cultural norm. Right. Absolutely. They even coined it normative discontent to describe how people feel about their bodies, which I, I feel that it shouldn't be that way, that that's a sign that we really need some cultural change and we really need to work on our relationships with our bodies and with food, you know, for us to be good role models. You know, if we have younger people in our life. That's really how we start to break this cycle. Yeah, I know this is a little off topic, but I have to say one of the things I love that I've seen you do is um, putting sticky notes around in places where you see signs of fat phobia and diet culture and you like, you know, put a message that challenges what it said there. And I love that. Thanks. Yeah, it's funny because I get so much positive feedback when I meet people who follow me in person. That's like usually the first thing that they comment on. And honestly, I'll, I'll tangent this for a few seconds and then get back to COVID. But I think it's applicable here as well. 
which is how this all started was I was out running some kind of errand and I passed by a Weight Watchers and they had this ridiculous ad in the, the front of the building, some big sign about, you know, like lose 15 pounds in two weeks. And so I put up, you know, uh, my own sign. I went to the grocery store next door, bought a piece of paper, bought some tape and bought Sharpies. I was that dedicated <laughs> and wrote, you know, like 95% of you will lose the weight and then gain it back. And then they'll blame you because that's how they make the money. And there was such a reaction from that. And for me, of course, it's a little bit silly, but it's also a way that I think people, I'm not suggesting people put sticky notes out, but to find other ways that feel empowering where you can start to grow your voice, where you can challenge these harmful messages, even if it's on social media or setting a boundary when somebody makes a comment. So I think that's one way we can start to reclaim our power from this really toxic diet culture within ideal society is by building our voice and speaking back. And I guess for me, I just enjoyed sticky notes as one avenue for that. Yeah, well, I think what I really like about that is that it's sort of where, you know, that old saying where when you're if you're the frog and you're being lowered into the pot of boiling water, you're going to jump out. But if you are already in the pot and then the flame is lit and the water starts heating up, you don't even know you're getting cooked. And the messaging of diet culture is so pervasive. It's so just really normal that what I like about your sticky notes process is that it it's like naming it, making it explicit, like, no, that's not right, you know, but it's just so normal. We're just swimming in it and we don't even see it. So right. that's why I love the the confronting the message. Right. Yeah. I mean, you described it perfectly. And that's kind of what I say is, I don't know. Have you seen the David Foster Wallace talk about fish swimming in water? Mm -mm. Okay. It's a good one. It's called This is Water. I'd highly recommend you look it up. But it's applicable to diet culture. He doesn't speak about diet culture, but this idea of we're all fish swimming in this diet culture infested water. Mm -hmm. But when we're in this water, we, it's normal. It's natural. We've always been there. We don't see it. And there's this idea that I've talked about for myself and with clients, it's kind of like, once you see it, it's very hard to then unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. True. I feel that way about trauma. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's everywhere. It affects everyone. And so many people are like, what do you mean trauma? Um, right. But yeah. So, well, thank you for following my little tangent. So getting back to how this is impacting people, particularly now during the pandemic, what would be some ways that people could recognize that maybe something they're getting into like shaky ground with the way they're reacting to the situation. Yeah. So I think starting to recognize if you're having more thoughts and increased focus on the appearance of your body and on food and noticing if those thoughts are becoming more critical and negative, that's something that's important because for me, I really see, and I think many people agree, disordered eating and an eating disorder as really a spectrum of behaviors. And I think, of course, an eating disorder is when food in your body take up you know, a big percentage of your brain space and becomes a central focus of your life. And there's often, you know, 
a lot of anxiety and behaviors. And for me, disordered eating is when you're engaging in harmful behaviors, but it's to a lesser severity and it's typically less impactful in your life. It's that like weird thing you do with food versus an eating disorder can really take over your whole life. But I would say that both are serious and both deserve help and support. And so for anyone who's really struggling with what they see in the mirror, who you know feels guilt and shame after they eat and tries to compensate in some way, maybe you know feeling bad about what they ate and then exercising or you know trying to restrict the next meal or saying diet starts tomorrow, I think that's really worth looking at not only to be able to have a healthier and more peaceful relationship to food in your body, because I think even for people without eating disorders, negative body image thoughts and diet culture can take up a lot of brain space that we could be devoting to other things, but also to be able to look at what might be underneath that, because I often see body image issues as being about the body, but also not about the body and same with food issues. And so often that's really the tip of the iceberg. And there's a lot of other factors underneath that can be really important to explore. Mm. Can you say a little bit more about what some of those factors might be? Sure. So, you know, I think not for everyone, but for many folks, there's a trauma history and an eating disorder can be one way to gain like a false sense of control, safety, to try to cope with a dysregulated nervous system. And there can also be issues of perfectionism, low self-worth, high anxiety. I have multiple clients right now who struggle with an eating disorder as well as mood disorders, such as bipolar disorder. And when their mood starts to feel really out of control and dysregulated, they turn to their eating disorder as a way to try to feel in control. Mm. So that's another link. I think also looking at the messages we received growing up. And I don't think that parents or families cause eating disorders, you know, and I think they can be great allies in treatment. But also, you know, as kids, we internalize the messaging that we see growing up around bodies and how people talk about bodies. There could also be attachment issues. And I think another big thing is just this idea of it's easier and more socially acceptable for me to say my thighs look gross today than to name the actual emotion underneath that um, or to say I feel fat if we're not actually in a larger body than to name the emotion underneath that, which is maybe my husband and I aren't having sex and I feel really rejected and hurt. So it's easier to blame my thighs than to look at the deeper emotions and my feelings. Yeah. Okay. I see. So it's kind of like finding an external thing to focus on rather than the emotion that that you're feeling. Right. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes. And there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. 
So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. So what can you say about ways to help people who are dealing with these thoughts and feelings and maybe increased behavior, eating disordered behavior while being quarantined? Do you have any suggestions for how people can cope with that? Yeah. So there's a bunch of things. I think one idea is to really work to start to identify and be aware of the language that you're using around food. I think it's very commonplace to refer to food as a treat or as junk or, you know, as a guilty pleasure. Being bad. And, right, right. So to attach this sense of like morality and judgment to food as either I'm good or bad or the food is good or bad or I've been so bad because I ate this, right? Yeah, yeah. And the idea is like, unless you stole that food from like a five-year-old just to be mean, like you're not bad for eating anything. You're not a bad person. And that no food in and of itself is good or bad. It's all about dosage. And so what I always say is anything in extreme amounts can be harmful, including like water. You can die of water poisoning from hyperhydration Mm -hmm. um, or the sun or even kale. You can have thalamine poisoning from eating too much kale, right? So anything that you consume in excess quantities can be harmful, but no one food, you know, given the proper dosage and context and listening to your intuition has the power to be harmful to you. And I'm not talking about like a medical condition, right? Where you have diagnosed celiac. That's a different or an allergy, a different situation. So starting to normalize foods and be mindful of your language and just label it what it is. So instead of saying, I'm having a treat, saying, I'm having a piece of cake. And recognizing that packaged and frozen meals can be part of a healthy diet because we're going to have less access for some people to fresh foods. And so giving yourself permission to eat those foods and to recognize that that is best at the end of the day, like getting enough calories, which are energy for our life is what's most important, regardless of the source and just being compassionate with yourself for however you're eating right now would be my first thing. I think also starting to recognize that some people are going to be turning to food more because they're around food all the time, sitting at home, or they're feeling stressed. And so starting to recognize that eating is inherently emotional, right? Like I might go to a baby shower and have a cupcake and I'm not hungry, but I'm celebrating. That's that's okay. And that's normal in our culture. But for some reason, we demonize this idea of, of eating for emotional reasons. So recognizing that it is okay to turn to food as one coping strategy. The problem is when that becomes our primary coping strategy for life, and we're constantly turning to food and we're numbing out. And that's when we want to start to look at that and figure out other strategies that we can add in. And also recognizing that we don't want to use this time of food scarcity as a reason to not feed ourselves adequately or to 
say, oh, well, I'm just not going to go to the grocery store then for weeks and weeks. You know, if we're truly in a place where we're able to go, we're not like immunocompromised, like making sure we're going and we're getting enough food that will last for a while. Also coming up with a coping plan. So if you have a therapist figuring out like, what are my triggers right now? Maybe it's being isolated. Maybe it's food scarcity. And how can I cope ahead? You know, like the DBT cope ahead skill. I don't know this one. So please tell us. Sure. So the DBT cope ahead skill is really just kind of how it sounds like envisioning what the specific triggers are and coming up with a detailed plan, including your coping skills, like I'll do coping thoughts. So we'll start with triggers, then what urges or thoughts those might create those triggers. And then we'll come up with specific coping skills and support people and coping statements that we can use. And the last part of it is visualization, which can be a really powerful tool. So visualizing how you would cope in that scenario. So it might be, let's say, for instance, the visualization, let's say it's around binge eating. And so maybe I visualize myself coming home. Well, I guess we're not really going anywhere, but let's say I went outside for a minute. I come home and I know that this is a big triggering time for me. And so visualizing myself using my skills and saying, I'm going to take a five minute pause, do five other coping skills. If I still want to binge eat, I can, but I'm going to practice starting to rewire those neural pathways of my brain and putting space between urge and action because binge eating, like many other things can become very automatic. Mm -hmm. And so we want to really just start by practicing putting that pause between urge and action. So that would be another example of something that we could do. I would also say trying to not give in to urges to isolate because eating disorders like other mental illnesses love isolation. So reaching out to people via social media, via FaceTime, making an effort to talk with friends, and then also keeping up recovery appointments. So, you know, most therapists right now are offering virtual support, and there's a load of free eating disorder groups that people are running right now. If you just Google, there's like many, many treatment centers are offering them at this moment because of COVID. So really utilizing that additional support And then I would also add, like many other people and people struggling with mental health, to try to come up with a sense of structure for your day, but not like a rigid structure because many individuals with eating disorders, and I was this way in my eating disorder, get very rigid and perfectionistic. So coming up with a loose structure that includes self-care and other things that you can do to self-soothe and to cope with your anxiety And those skills are going to help you, you know, when the eating disorder urges are high, because like many other things similar to addiction, you know, even though I personally don't support the concept of food addiction, eating disorders are a coping skill. So we need to start to practice and to utilize our more values aligning coping skills on a regular basis. Yeah, that's so helpful. And You know, I was thinking about substance abuse when you mentioned the DBT skills because, and in the same way for, I mean, my perspective is trauma is underlying a lot of symptoms that we see, whether it's, you know, eating disorder behavior, of course, not everyone, but it's often underlying, you know, substance abuse behavior. So any of those maladaptive ways of coping that we we learn and they help for a while, but then they become destructive. 
the strategies that you mentioned would fit. So, you know, because a lot of people are talking about overusing alcohol right now. You know, I've mm-hmm. even read a couple articles about how there's a huge increase in alcohol consumption and purchases. Even in here in our state of Maryland, it was the liquor stores are an essential business, you know, and it's like I wasn't surprised when I saw that because Mm -hmm. people are, you know, really into drinking and I'm not opposed to it. But it's the idea that, you know, when you're doing it because you can't cope with the way you feel. So same with restricting, binging, you know, or other eating disordered behaviors that if you're doing it because you can't cope and that's a clue that. Right. You need and, to turn inward a little bit. Right. Absolutely. And I think there's a big myth. And honestly, I definitely subscribed to this myth when I was younger before I personally struggled that, you know, people with eating disorders are somehow just superficial and shallow and, you know, just want to look like models in the magazines. And that's what an eating disorder is, is trying to be thin. And that couldn't be further from the truth. But that's something I hear a lot with clients is, you know, I'm shallow, I'm superficial. How can I be worried about my weight right now? And I think you raise such a good point that we have to remember that, again, similar to addiction and other maladaptive coping behaviors, an eating disorder is one way that people are trying to cope with trauma, with difficult life experiences, with anxiety. And so again, it's that coping skill that gives people very short term relief, but in the long run can really destroy people's lives and make them, you know, prisoner to the eating disorder. Yeah. So Jennifer, do you have um, any suggestions for resources for someone who does find themselves in this situation? And maybe it's you know, it's it's more than they can really handle on their own now. You know, they're home, but it's not going well. Yeah. So in terms of resources, there's a whole bunch of them out there. I guess to start, like I mentioned earlier, my practice works with people virtually throughout the state of Maryland, as well as worldwide providing coaching. And we're happy to meet with people for therapy to help them to recover Then there's also an Instagram page. It's called COVID-19 Eating Support. And every hour around the clock, there are different providers in this space who are doing meal support for clients for free. So you can go on there and you can eat a meal and there are going to be professionals on there every hour, essentially, while this is going on. What is meal support for people who aren't familiar? Sure. So meal support is when... You know, many people with eating disorders struggle to have a meal either to actually eat the meal itself or they struggle with feeling like they want to use compensatory behaviors after a meal. So typically what we do is it's a little different for everyone, but I'll sit down with a client, you know, I'll get their level of distress, set scale, and we'll usually do something like a fear food hierarchy for certain clients. And so we're picking something that's anxiety provoking, but doesn't feel unsafe. And so then typically we'll eat a meal together, which I've done virtually many times before, before this and help them to cope in real time, because that's how we bring the eating disorder into the room. You know, it's, it's one thing to be cerebral and to be talking about it intellectually. And it's another thing to see the behaviors in real time. Okay. So basically you and the person eat together and whatever comes up for them in terms of distress, the therapist is there to help them with it right, right there as it's happening. Right. 
Nice. So, and that's what this COVID-19 eating support is for? Yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit different because the providers aren't seeing you. Basically, it's Instagram Live. So they're coming on and, you know, some people can eat a meal with that level of support of just having people who get it sitting there eating and laughing and talking. And then other people really need that one on one. So it's just another free option for people who are really struggling right now. That's great. And I guess, do you know, I'm sure you know the answer to this, people who would need inpatient eating disorder treatment right now, is that available? Yeah. So residential treatment programs are open. I don't think I've heard of any that are currently closed and they're able to stay open. What's really cool, though, is a lot of IOPs and PHP programs for eating disorders are now offering virtual options. So I have clients who are able to now do a program, a great program in another state from Maryland. So that's a really great option if somebody needs a higher level of care. Okay. Yeah. So just again, for people who aren't familiar, what is an IOP program and what's a PHP program for eating disorders? What are they? What do they do? Sure. So <laughs> I, it's, it differs, but IOP is going to be shorter programming. Typically it's evenings, but it depends on the program and they do process groups. You know, they do a supported meal, often dinner, you know, they might do a snack and typically the client also gets a dietitian and a therapist to check in with, as well as a psychiatrist. And then PHP programming is more that all day programming. And so it's, they get a lot more meals and they have supported meals that they're doing via video with other group members and they're processing. They're going to groups talking about different skills, talking about recovery, body image. Then they're also getting that support the individual therapist and the dietitian. So really the different levels of care, it's going to be different to each individual client. But the way that I personally do it, because I think I do it differently than some other clinicians, is I will see a client and, you know, provided I think that they're able to, to work out patient you know, due to medical stability and whatnot, and often I'll require a doctor if medical stability is in question, I'm willing to work with that person outpatient, even if it's a short period of time, to see if they're able to make progress on their goals. If it becomes clear that that person really needs additional support, that's when we would look at starting with an IOP, PHP. And if somebody really needs, for instance, they're at a very severe place, their eating disorder, they're constantly using behaviors, they feel like meeting outpatient doesn't feel like enough, they need that behavioral interruption, that's when residential can be really helpful. You know, if they're saying, I can talk about this with you all day, or I can sit down with you for meal support, and I just can't do it, right? That's when they need that additional support where they go somewhere, they're in a facility where they get all of their meals, they have staff they can talk to all of the time, and they're able to be, you know, closely medically monitored as well. So basically, I'm willing to work with people who are pretty unwell in their eating disorder outpatient, but I require, you know, I don't require, but I ask that they have a team. And I, I do often require a doctor if, you know, medical concerns are an issue. 
So, and then I guess lastly on that is there are many clients who don't want to do a higher level of care, but are really struggling. And so that's when we kind of do a DIY IOP where we will add outpatient groups. They might meet with me a couple times a week. So there's, there's a lot of options for people with eating disorders. Awesome. And since you were talking about your practice and um, in the beginning, you mentioned that you see clients in Maryland and you named several other states. Is that, what does that mean? (laughs) Sure. That's a great question. So I have, I want to say 10 associates working under me. So we have therapists, including myself, who are licensed in Maryland and work with people throughout the state of Maryland. And then we have two therapists based out of California who see people in California virtually and one therapist in New York as well. Oh, okay. So they're they're located in California, not in Maryland? Right. They're located in California, but they work virtually from home with people throughout the state of California. So that's how we're able to... And then I meet with them, you know, via video and we can do phone consultations. But it just really helped us to be able to expand our reach because we would have people reaching out from other states. Yeah. And yeah, one of my passions was, you know, connecting people with amazing providers who align with my philosophy. Nice. And are they virtual only right now or is that the way that they practice all the time within your group? It depends on the clinician. Typically, they're virtual with us. Sometimes they'll have, you know, our New York therapist has a hybrid of part office and part virtual. But and so does one of our California people. But the other California person is all virtual. Very interesting. That's a creative uh, practice structure. I like it. (laughs) Honestly, it was a total accident, I have to say. And the I won't tangent about this too much, but basically we also offer recovery coaching and I don't have to get into what that is, but it's really, you know, on the ground coaching support, meal support, like not therapy, but providing like skills with challenging eating disorder thoughts, like an added support for people who have a therapist. And when I was hiring another coach for our practice, I happened to get an application from somebody who was an awesome therapist in California. And then once I did that the first time and saw that it worked out, I was like, well, what stops me from expanding to other states? So it kind of was just a happy accident. But I feel really grateful again that like one of the biggest joys of having a group practice is that I get to see my own clients, but then I get to, you know, get messages from other clients who have been helped by one of our other clinicians. So it just feels very rewarding and awesome to be able to help people all over. Yeah, that that's really great. Thank you. I mean, I'm glad you explained about the coaching too, because, you know, I think people who are listening, for one, people who are listening, this will be all over the world, but people will be, you know, oh, coaching, how... How could I get involved with the coaching? What is that? You know, so all of that's really helpful. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I'll say on the coaching is I think it's also helpful for therapists. So maybe somebody has a therapist they love who's an awesome trauma therapist, but doesn't do eating disorders. So they're able to continue with that therapist. And then a coach is able to assist or even for, you know, an eating disorder therapist, for instance, one of our therapists sees a client who you know, is really struggling, needs additional support. And then she sees one of our coaches a couple times a week to do dinner with her. Yeah, exactly. The things that maybe the therapist wouldn't be able to do because the way their, their practice is or, you know, like I'm a trauma therapist, but I'm not an eating disorders therapist. And I don't, I wouldn't be eating with my clients because it's just not 
part of what I do. Mm-hmm. Not really opposed to it. It's just not part of what I do. So, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And it's good to know how you're serving the needs of everybody who's out there. Well, Jennifer, this has been a really interesting and helpful conversation. I'm very grateful that you took the time to be my guest today. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm so glad that we got to raise more awareness about this because I think it's such a big issue for so many people who are struggling right now. Yeah, me too. And and where can people find everything you're doing? Sure. So they can follow me on Instagram. It's Jennifer underscore Roland, R is in rock, O-L-L-I-N. Or if they want to reach out to work with me or someone on my team, they can go to www.theeatingdisordercenter.com. Now I realize I pronounced your name wrong. I'm sorry about that. Oh, you're totally fine. I, I didn't even notice because it literally happens every day of my life. Yeah. I actually didn't notice. <laughs> well, my last name's Regan and I get Regan constantly too. So it's mm-hmm. sort of just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use, HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code THERAPYCHAT. A couple weeks ago, my group practice needed to close our office to in-person sessions and make a quick pivot to telehealth due to the coronavirus. I was able to set up free HIPAA-compliant DoxyMe accounts for my staff and interns. This allowed us to quickly and easily transition to telehealth during a stressful situation. I already had my own paid account that I'd been using as needed. DoxyMe has been easy for staff and clients to use so we can focus on the therapy sessions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code THERAPYCHAT. That's D-O-X-Y dot M-E and use the code THERAPYCHAT for $50 off. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com.
Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.